0: Hello, my name is Annie Dalton, and together with Gareth Shelton, we bring you That's Creative. What is it about? Well, we're all creative in our daily lives, often in ways we might not realise. And in this podcast, we meet people from all walks of life, from entrepreneurs to painters to teachers and academics. You may have to forgive some of the recordings in these episodes, as we recorded it through the internet whilst we were on lockdown. But we have a great set of eight coming for you, and they're very interesting. First up, we have Felissa Shelton, founder of Pop Up Painting and Events. Felissa came to the creative industries after a long career in health service management and innovation. We asked her about her experience traversing these very different industries. We learnt about the challenges she's faced, the skills she's been able to transfer and all about reinventing yourself. This is a great lesson, guys. So open your ears and enjoy. OK, hello, Felisa. Um Thank you for um, coming and talking to us
1: on That's Creative. Hi, Annie and Gareth. Um, Thank you for giving me this opportunity, sounds like fun. Um, I am the Founder and Managing Director for Pop-Up Painting and Events, uh, which is what I've been doing for uh, the last seven years. But my background is actually as a healthcare uh, executive um, leading change and innovation um, in uh, the National Health Service and private healthcare uh, commissioning space. So a very different background and uh, my educational background, I have a Master of Science in Health Service Management.
2: What sort of thing does that involve? What is Health Service Management?
1: So, uh, well, my first uh, was a diploma in Management Studies, so that was generic, not health-related. Um, and then I went on to do uh, the masters which was health service related. Um, The skills are really the same but I guess that one of the differences is in my masters I did um, epidemiology so one of my exam pieces for example I had to uh, create a healthcare system for a third world country so that was that was very health oriented, but public health oriented generally. Mm. Um, uh, but the other elements of that degree were generic because I did my focus my thesis was on health services marketing um, internationally in private and public sectors. Um, so it was really a marketing uh, dissertation. and the other parts of the course were around. Uh, management skills and uh, operational control, um, uh, business planning and strategy, um, and research methodology. So, pretty generic. Cool.
3: Um, so,
0: having all that as your background, how have you sort of transferred any skills that you learnt there into your pop up painting business?
1: Um, Actually, it's really similar, uh, 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 you know, some of my ex-health service colleagues uh, were a bit astounded that I, I moved out of, you know, a, a a big healthcare career really into this tiny little startup business and were a bit confused about what background and skills, you know, they said, oh, are you a secret painter then? We didn't know, you know, and as I've said to them and say to other people, surprisingly, the skill set I use is almost the same as the skill set I used when I was running a big healthcare company um, or when I was on the board running a hospital, actually. It's just the uh, products and services are different, but the skills are the same. So instead of me, uh, you know, worrying about um, delivery of oxygen or bed capacity uh, at the Royal National Orthopaedic in Stanmore, I'm worrying about uh, or nurses and enough theatre nurses for the additional sessions we've got to lay on because of a waiting list problem. I'm worrying about, I'm I'm working on um, resources for running events or canvas capacity. So the scale is a real microcosm of what I'm used to. Mm. And this, the impact and risks are completely different from the environment I come from. But actually, coming from an environment where it really matters if you've got the wrong delivery of a drug or you don't have a skilled worker or you don't have the right insurance around the building of a new hospital wing, those, you know, the impact of those wrong decisions is mega, is life changing for people, you know. I would be called in the middle of the night to say, can we land the HEMS helicopter to bring a spinal injured patient in? Um, And I would have to deal with, um, you know, the... uh, the royal navy or whoever it is who runs hems and them and the doctors saying if this patient doesn't get in at this time this patient will die or have you know never walk again but if it does land because of the position of the wind so dealing with the met office on wind um, and the air the, the air we could smash the windows of the pediatric ward what do you do so i had to make decisions like that compared to making a decision about whether we're going to go ahead with an event because um, you know there's a a broken ventilation system and it's too hot to run it so the consequences of the decisions are completely different but it's the same skill set and my role was always in the Oh, how long was I in healthcare, 25 years, something like that, all that time I was an innovator and I was bringing new ideas in. So that's why I brought in pop-up painting into the UK because I was used to bringing more difficult products to market because bringing new healthcare ideas into uh, England is extremely challenging. And the disparity, the the range of decision-makers of chief executives and boards and doctors and clinicians and getting all of those people to align to agree to new innovations is really really challenging mm. and you don't get to see mm. the end user that much whereas in this business we're right at the heart of um, dealing with services that go straight to the end user
2: mm. so, that's so, so mm. what, what do you mean by a new healthcare product what, what sort of thing is that
1: So the sort of things that I brought in, um, so one was cartilage transplantation services, for example, which is pretty common now. But about 20 years ago, uh, we didn't do it in this country. And I was approached by one of the, the medical director at, at Stanmore, um, had a contact uh, who was working with a Danish company. And they were taking cartilage out of people's damaged knees and regrowing the cartilage so that it became hyaline cartilage, which would then be grown in a, a laboratory and then reimplanted into knees so that knees could start to self-repair mm-hmm. um, and that's quite commonplace now cartilage transplantation is is quite a, a big service but we brought it into the UK um, and um, I had to build the business case around that so I had the doctors on board for that but I had to convince my board that it was worth investing in I had to work with the National Institute of Clinical Excellence NICE to get the uh, pro- the The procedure approved, Um, then we got academic backing so that we could track it, we could roll it out across different parts of the country um, and we could build a national database which went on to uh, be part of the um, National Hip and Knee Register Mm -hmm. And, um, and we had to find patients who wanted to do it and part of the business case that I worked on on that was to try and demonstrate the efficacy of this product which was if you intervene very early when the knee is only a bit damaged and you can put in repair cells back into the knee then the delay in having a knee replacement um, will be cost effective in the long run because uh, you know in, in the days I was working then knee replacements would only last you about 10 years or 15 years maybe and so you could only have a couple of knee replacements in your lifetime so we can intervene early as people are getting older. Put in a, a cartilage knee transplantation, um, uh, uh, you know, when you're when you're 40 or 50, and then you might delay the knee replacement till you're 65 or something, or never need it even. Mm.
3: Yeah,
1: Service, awesome. and then the other one was um, predictive risk modelling uh, across the NHS, which was working with an American company, um, Health Dialog, where we identified. Um, uh, analy- uh, analytics so that we could take registers of patients and uh, we had uh, we had identified uh, a cohort of certain denominators that would predict your likelihood of being admitted to hospital And so this was a tool that was very powerful for community matrons, which were introduced at the time, so that they could spend more time with the patients that were likely to be going into hospital if we didn't intervene, rather than just dealing with the people that manifested in front of them in crisis. So it's a way of preventing hospital admission Um, and to support that service. We also had health coaching, which was basically nurses on the phone uh, trying to build the health literacy and health education of individuals so that they could care for themselves better. So if they were patients are diabetic or with COPD or conditions like that, if patients can manage their conditions well, they won't end up in hospital, but they need support to do so. Mm. There's a couple of examples. Uh, the other one was uh, the first uh, Europe's first voice activated endo-suite theatre. So it's down the pretty commonplace now, but back in uh, you know 20 odd years ago, uh, our consultants were very excited. They go could go into a room and say, uh, It's Mr. Briggs here, I'm doing a, a, a total hip replacement. I need this and this. And then the computer would talk back to it and the kits would be sorted and there would be a big audit trail. So, yeah, all of that at the time was all new.
0: (laughs) So, So all of that kind of sounds really important. So what was it like from having all of that responsibility and transferring to... A startup that just helps people unleash their creativity. Not that that's not important, but like, how yeah. did what was it like? And I guess, uh, why did pop up painting start?
1: Mm. Um, so um, it started because I guess I burnt out uh, in healthcare um, after you know a, a lot of years of it, um, and uh, uh, my my father died, um, and. Mm-hmm. I I was just tired Um, and I just said, I I want a break from healthcare Um, and I I stepped away um, and took the summer off to watch the Olympics, so it was 2012, the year that that happened and a friend of mine uh, said, oh, you know, sip and paint is all the range in America, why don't you bring this to the UK? And I said, oh, what do I want to do that for? I'm a healthcare executive and he said, no, you're not, you're an innovator, you bring new products to market and he was right. So I thought about it for a few minutes and thought, well, it's just a new challenge. It's just bringing a new product to market, and uh, so that's what I did. It, but there was a I I did have a period of of bereavement for about uh, two years, probably, where mm. I I really did miss the complexity of the healthcare environment, um, and I probably do still miss the complexity of it. Um, but um you know i i, I did my stint and uh, i got the badges and I, I i didn't i don't need to do it anymore i i occasionally do some consulting work like reviewing um uh, tenders and bids um and some mentoring work uh, but uh, so i i dabble a little bit but um that's that's getting less and less but yeah it was a bit of a shock to go from uh you know designing a new hospital, a strategic outline case for a new hospital um, uh, in Stanmore uh, or (laughs) um, or setting up a referral management system for Healthcare practitioners across a whole part of London to washing paintbrushes yes it was a bit of a
2: shock. Had you anticipated that there would be this time of bereavement I mean if I think about advice to people starting businesses or giving up their their day jobs and starting something else it's not something I ever see talked about so was it something that really surprised you that you felt it at all?
1: No I don't suppose I don't think I was surprised by it I might have been surprised by, by the, the, the depth of it. Right. Um, but, I, you know, and, and if when I do mentoring, I kind of like, I, 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 I use that experience to help other people um, leaving, you know, and, and one of the things I think is to um, make sure that when you do make changes in your life and in your career, to make sure you don't, it, either you, if you've got the courage, change it all in one go. Because you've only got as much capacity as you've got to kind of feel things. (laughs) Mm. So you might as well have one big hit. Or for those people that don't have the courage to do it in one big hit or don't want, don't choose not to do it in one big hit, then, you know, in career planning, for example, go for a change of field but not a change of seniority.
3: Mm.
1: Or go for a change of seniority but stay in the field that you know really well you know but don't change your skills your skills your field and your authority in career changes in one go mm. yeah. if you do that then your likelihood of success quickly will will be diminished mm. so you know it's best to you know move sideways into a new field or move up into the field you know kind of thing so yeah.
0: you mentioned uh, don't change like your skills but um, you started a company with no sort of artistic background. So how do you how did you sort of think that you would approach this? Would you be running the first sort of classes yourself, or get friends you know, or was it always intended just to get artists from the start, no matter how much it
3: costs, sort of thing?
1: Um, so that that's no different to my background because you know I, I, I run a hospital, but I'm not a doctor or a nurse. Mm -hmm. So I I came with the confidence that any of us can do anything um, if you have the right resources and management is actually management and leadership is about getting things done by other people. It's not about doing it yourself. Um, And I was always, you know, I always delegated. Um, I really didn't do much work at all myself. Um, So I surrounded myself with very good people always. And so that was the same for this, you know, I, 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 I believed it was better to have this company run by somebody who wasn't an artist because I could focus on the business side and I could surround myself with good artists, which is what we did immediately.
0: Yeah, and and do you you think that's why pop-up painting works, that you yourself isn't an artist, so that you can focus on the business side, I suppose?
1: Yes, Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely, Annie, that's exactly what I think. And myself, Gareth and Ian all of us with no background in um, art or uh, um, uh, yeah, in art, we can, we can represent the customer better. Mm.
0: Right. Yes. Yes,
1: because... Because obviously... our customers that we target are like us. Yeah. Mm. They have no, painters. Yeah. And do you think um,
2: what... Oh, sorry, just no, on, on a quick point on that question. So earlier you talked about your, your dissertation... In your 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 masters being about marketing in healthcare. And on the point that you just raised, it's about surrounding yourself with good people. So between the two of those, did either of those inform your sense of thinking that actually my job was to represent the customer?
1: Yes, but my representation of the customer probably came before my marketing studies. Right. Uh, Although I did marketing in my diploma in management studies, sort of early, so early in my career, I had already done marketing mm. and recognised uh, very quickly that um, organisations that succeed are those that empower their customers and uh, empower their teams, mm. um, and that was the philosophy I took forward uh, in in my whole career, and um, I. My, part of my responsibilities in all of my roles were, were always um, customer advocacy. Hmm. So, you know, I would be developing the complaint system and the suggestion scheme, the say-so scheme for, staff, for patients and staff and, and, and so on. Hmm. So people empowerment really has been a philosophy that hmm. I've adopted and, you know, that's about empowering. And, and pe- people become empowered by being artistic and creative. And producing a piece of artwork they didn't know they could do, mm.
0: yeah, yeah, we, we see that all the time, yeah, at the events. yeah and yeah. um, you you touched upon your friend saying that um, you know this sort of concept exists in America. How did you sort of take on board that and sort of create pop-up painting? so is it similar? Is there any differences? Did um, you decide to bring just the concept itself or try and change it in any way for the UK?
1: Good question. So um, I uh, I knew that if I was going to take on something like this, I had to go and see one working um, uh, and just see what I, what I thought was good and what I thought was bad about it. We were confident, though, because I registered the company before I set off for Boston um, in the States went to one session in the States and I was really surprised at the fact that I enjoyed it. I only went for research. Um, I, you know, although when I was when I was little, I used to like doing drawing and colouring in with felt pen. I had a set of poster paints. But, um, you know, I was I'm not I didn't think I was a particularly artistic, creative person. um, But I actually found that I enjoyed the session in Boston, even though there were elements I didn't like it immediately and thought, well, I wouldn't do it like that. Mm. Um, I found the experience of putting a brush on a canvas was enlightening and enabled me to stop thinking about everything else I'm one of those people and I think a lot of our customers are whose brain is racing and rattling all of the time and being able to relax is really difficult for me Mm -hmm. and actually painting takes you to a place where you don't have room to 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 think about other things yeah and that was a surprise so Uh, I only went to look at some ideas about how they did it. There were most things I wasn't impressed with. The the leader of the event wasn't inspiring or articulate or fun. The music was rubbish. It was self-service paint. The painting was was horrible. Um, But... I could see it in operation immediately. And at that point I knew, right, I'm going to take this to England. But I knew from my experience of bringing American ideas to the UK market, that the UK market is much more discerning than the American. Mm -hmm. Americans open their arms and say, yeah, I'll try it. England go, I'm not doing anything. Okay. All right. Persuade me. I will. So your your starting point for English marketing is very different because people are generally reticent and are going to um, consider the reasons why they shouldn't do something before the reasons why they should. Mm. So I knew we had to have a stronger angle to it. And on that basis, we decided to focus on masterpieces and we did and we said we needed to give a more holistic experience for people not just get them to and we had to differentiate between a class so that's why we developed the bespoke playlists mm.
3: right
0: so everything is themed and people are yeah. sort of more in, in, immersed in the whole painting experience yeah and yeah. Um, so like obviously pop-up painting has been around for seven years and One of the things that I find interesting is that you're very open about why you started and the reasons behind it and that this isn't an original idea. Um, During these seven years, I've experienced other companies popping up that seem to think that their idea is an original idea and I find that really bizarre. Do you think it's them... Actually believing that a sort of marketing tactic. I mean, surely they can't think that they there are no other painting companies that exist. I mean, obviously they've seen pop art painting in the UK as well as it being in the US.
2: Mm, so, and, and on that point, can I just add to that question? Because I think that's a great question. A lot of companies, especially in the creative space, have a really compelling emotional story about how they started. Like some of our friends, you know, they started something because they wanted something for their dad and we don't have that. And what are your thoughts around that?
1: Mm. I guess that um, my approach to marketing is what is the cornerstone of this. And because I learnt and trained and worked in marketing of healthcare. Healthcare um, has to rely on what is known as below the line marketing. So it was actually, um, I'm not sure the term is illegal, but you were not allowed to market healthcare services in the NHS. And yet we were the only ones doing cartilage transplantation services, say. Um, And so you wanted to, market it but you couldn't sell it you were not allowed to sell in the NHS in in the days I was working in it and so you had to develop uh, what was called what's called below the line marketing which is basically education and so the 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 way that I managed to persuade people um, and to communicate with people about the excellence and skills and the service outcomes that could be delivered if patients came to My hospital instead of to another hospital, it had to be based on evidence. I had to have outcomes. I had to use other players with me. I had to use the doctors um, or the expert therapists to talk about it, not me, because I wasn't, you know, as qualified in that field. And so the whole approach to marketing in healthcare is that you have to rely on your expert team, you have to produce outcomes, and you can't make false claims. And nobody's going to buy something if you just say, you know, come and get your treatment here because, um, you know, for a brash reason. So because my background was based on that, I, I only am comfortable in below the line marketing. So I'm not somebody that can stand and blow a trumpet and say, hey, look at us, we're the greatest and that's why you should come and paint with us. And I'm, I'm a very... I have strong ethics and strong morals. I don't tell lies. And so I'm not going to say we developed this or we developed that. We certainly, I believe we coined the phrase social marketing. We coined the phrase pop-up painting. We are the originators of the masterpiece and the um, themed playlist. Um, and other people have now followed with some of this. Uh, but I'm not going to pretend that I developed something I didn't. And other companies that do that, people tell lies when they're insecure. Mm. Yeah. What? But in terms of a compelling story, um, I think that people will buy from us because the quality of the experience is better and the integrity of the product is better Mm. and the way we treat our customers is better. So I would rather they did that than they did it because... They like to buy a ticket. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean, I hide. I'm not the face of the company because, um, uh, you know, uh, that people need to see the experts. They need to see the artists. They need to see, you know, the the fun, the fun people. <laughs>
2: I'm a
1: bit now. <laughs> I think it was interesting
2: in what you said. So, um, uh, you said that, um, you know, you you think that we coin social painting. Um, and uh, things like that and what has been interesting is I think when, when we first started actually a lot of the branding of stuff like this wasn't purple and pink it was actually green if you remember, which now now is a really strange choice of colours. So um, the fact that it's gone purple and pink, I think that that was definitely down to us. Um, I
0: also see that pink in various of other sort of like marketing campaign that is non-related to painting experiences as well. So I don't know if that's just (laughs) because I'm familiar with it, so I see it or, you know,
2: (laughs) (laughs) we're a successful
0: pink company.
2: Um, (laughs) on On that point of about other... Competitors essentially, and how they go about things. What is your approach to how people in small businesses think about competition? Because I think, you know, from a, from a an objective customer point, competition is good for everyone. So, how does it feel though for you to have started something and then there are loads of competitors? And actually, is that different to what your healthcare experience was?
1: interesting question I can remember being asked this I think Annie might have interviewed me for something a few years ago and I can remember saying to Annie then um, bring on the competition because nobody will ever work as hard as we have done to get where we've got
3: yeah
1: I don't think I could say that today so that was my initial approach and then along came one of our competitors who got a load of money thrown at it Mike. and is chipping away at a market share uh, because they've got the marketing budget. And so it is, the product has now got big enough that people will throw money at it. And we have the evidence to see that if you throw enough money at marketing, even if the product isn't good, they might this, the competitor we're talking about might not be able to retain their customers, but they can attract new replacement customers um easily because they've got all that marketing budget so now i know that we have to get more that's that's kicked me up the backside to say we've got to get more investment because we've got to get more aggressive and we've got to we've got to say actually we are the best uh, your experience is better with us and we need to match the marketing spend so that we can you know get get that can retain that number one position really um is that different to what it was like in healthcare uh, when I was in the NHS? The marketing was much more subtle, and I worked I worked in nurse and midwifery recruitment at first, actually, and you had to compete for students. But um, then I worked in services that were so specialist that the strength of the service would be why we won the business generally because we were the best in the best in the country when I was at Stanmore Royal National Athletic. Um and then but then I went into the private sector and winning the business in the private sector I did need to be aware of the competitive strengths and advantages that we had and the uh, competing bidders what they had and I had to try and exploit those but they were basically the same as what we've got now, which was to, uh, you know, compete on the basis of reputation and integrity and being good people to do business with. And that, that worked for me in healthcare and I think works for us here.
0: Yeah, I think maybe a lot of sort of marketing nowadays is quite vain, isn't it? You, you've you really got to sell yourself, if it's not yourself or is yourself, in in some sort of way that is attractive to people in an almost sense that they would aspire to want to be you or at least take part in whatever it is that you're doing and I think that that maybe is um what you were trying to explain about <laughs> your other point <laughs> your early
3: point
1: <laughs> yeah I, and and uh, I recognize it but it's not for me I don't want to behave Mm. in that way so I'm not going to be the front face that does that but I'm quite happy to work with people that are comfortable doing that if that's going to win us market share Mm. but I wouldn't replace that I wouldn't I wouldn't have the replacement of you know something beautiful and catchy and looking great and then have nothing
2: underneath that you've got to have substance behind Mm. um what are the things that you found over the last seven years that you've learned that other people might not appreciate so what are the things that you know you you say you tell someone about what, what you've been doing and people are taken aback by it? What are the things that you think would surprise people who haven't started their own business or been in this industry? Um,
1: that stunk's me, me. Well, I suppose I it's don't. like
2: your point about how actually so many skills are transferable. Are there any mm. particular things about the industry itself that are surprising?
1: Um, fickleness. Hmm. Uh, it, uh, the, the entertainment uh, business... Uh, the events business is much more fickle than the healthcare business.
3: Mm.
1: So, uh, and the transaction length and size is completely different. So instead of negotiating, you know, a three year contract for services that might cost three and a half million pounds uh, with executive directors and senior doctors and so on, Then you're negotiating with, you know, a consulting house that wants uh, an afternoon of painting for nine hundred (laughs) pounds. So the kind of, um, so the people you're dealing with are more junior. Uh, That doesn't mean the people that attending their events are necessarily more junior. They're they're very diverse, I know. But but for me, the people that I have to negotiate contracts with are more are more much more junior uh and they can be very fickle so they can be very casual and you know for me what I say is what I do and if I make a pledge to somebody I follow that through and, and other people don't and people people can be quite rude actually
2: yeah, uh, yeah. Um, on, on that point actually that, that was one of my other questions that I, I was just thinking of um you know you've come from a relatively high status position in a big industry where you were a relatively significant player and now you know you you're a big status in a small company in a kind of growing industry so how does that feel and how do you do you find that the way that people speak to you or treat you has changed
1: uh, yes definitely i i always I've worked with the mantra and which is what we try to imbue in the team, isn't it? Treat people as you like to be treated yourself. And uh I'm not somebody who's thrown status around when I was, you know, managing director of big companies or whatever, and now I and I won't change because you know that's a, that's short term success is achieved that way, not long term. And you know, I know that because several of my team followed me from company to company. But I do notice that uh yeah. People, people that treat people who work in the events industry dreadfully. Right. I can remember going to one solicitor's firm, um, and actually, I have been an advisor to a solicitor's firm who we were a competitor of the one we went to. And I went along to open the event. You know, I was the operational lead in the early days, uh, about four years ago, five years ago. And uh, one of the junior people there was, was really, really rude to me. And um, then uh, somebody else came into the room who I actually happened to know vaguely because I'd met through my role as an advisor to this other legal company, and uh, you know, so I said hello to that person. We made reference to the person we both knew, and as soon as this other team member realised that actually I wasn't just a rubbishy person that ran a, worked in an events company, you know, she her behaviour to me changed completely, mm-hmm. um, and and that was just. vulgar
0: Mm. yeah yeah it's it's sometimes the uh, my experience the entitlement that they have because they've paid you to come along and entertain them that they are able to um, make you do a bunch
1: of other things that you're not there to do as well (laughs) (laughs) we're here to serve to eat a lot of humble pie so in instead of you know <laughs> but, and so so that that's about creativity isn't it adapting mm-hmm. yourself yeah um, and uh, you know i would sit for ages in a board meeting i was an inspector of of, of hospitals and whatever i would have really important serious conversations about uh, patient safety or you know, co- uh, consultation with the public, uh, you know, or investments around, uh, you know, um, new hospital builds. Um, mm-hmm. And then the next thing I am um, is having a conversation about whether somebody needs their water changing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you, and that is so, had to be adaptive, had to be creative, had to replay our story and, and whatever. And, um, yeah. People, there will always be some people that treat people badly and there will be yeah. some people that are lovely in whatever environment you meet them. Mm. Yeah. So, there's nothing we can do about that. No, that's
2: no. true.
1: No, no. But yeah, it, it has been painful and uncomfortable sometimes. And What's your
0: best uh, memory from a pop-up painting event? <laughs> You've got a worse. <laughs> What's the best? <laughs> I know it probably shouldn't be, but a story you've mentioned and you told me was the man in the white suit.
1: <laughs> oh God, no! That wasn't. That was one of my worst experiences. Where I got paint all over this man. But uh, the best man, but right. I Had some fun, huh? <laughs> had That's some fun. I mean, I can remember meeting Mickey Flanagan. Oh yeah. Um, How uh, did that happen? Setting up an event in in Dulwich, of all places, <laughs> and I'd actually met him through healthcare um believe it or not so yeah. when i when i was in healthcare um i met all sorts of exciting people really because uh, my my remit in all the roles i'd had was always always had a pr element to it um and so i had to do quite a lot of work with the royal family and um uh, um England football team and, 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 and all sorts of people and, and uh, my children you know were privileged to be able to meet the Blue Peter presenter and even Rolf Harris and people like that if they wanted to. Um, so um, I, I had met Mickey Flanagan because I, uh, he knew one of the comedians I was working with on a Canadian healthcare project so I'd met him the, uh, two years before um, and so when I went to the pub in Dulwich to run the pop-up painting event he was in the bar drinking as it happened and he sort of recognised me and sort of said oh don't I know you and so we struck up a conversation so he came and had his photo taken with me in front of our That's banner. Nice so was,
3: that
0: he
1: uh, approached you. He's a, he's a very approachable nice man actually mm. um but um so that that was quite fun, um, and then uh, we've we've had a number of really fun events, mm. high energy, great fun events. Big groups generally are more fun. Um, so I probably my standout moments are probably when things go wrong and uh, creatively what we did to solve
2: them <laughs> rather than <laughs> um, <laughs> then what what happened. Yeah, I. I think, yeah. You know, just, just going back on the point about, you know, people sometimes treating people differently based on their status. I think, you know, it's important to to just say explicitly that, you know, of the nearly 40,000 people we've painted with, I found the overwhelming majority to be very nice and very friendly and appreciative. Um, and I yeah. suppose that's something that you, you, we've spoken about before and it's something that you sort of alluded to earlier. You know, in healthcare, you don't really see your end user. Um, yes. And that's very, that's, you know someone else to deal with whereas actually at the end of an event you do so what's that like yeah
1: yeah that's really nice so that the the you know that um it brings me back to my health dialogue days which was about empowering patients with health literacy skills so they could manage themselves better Um, and so patient empowerment and i am always reminded i was reminded in the early days of building this company and seeing the outputs and hearing the people Um, When they've done something that they didn't know they could do, I I have a sense that we are empowering people by uh, revealing and releasing their creativity skills, Mm. their talents that they didn't know they had. And Mm. they go away proud and happy. And that is that is rewarding. That's the best part of the job.
2: Mm, absolutely um, and on on that point sort of as we move towards the end of this conversation um you know lockdown is is disruptive for businesses like ours and all businesses but and, and you know we, we could spend loads of time talking about how we're pivoting with online parties and live but I think more more interesting is what do you think pop-up painting will be doing in a year's time you know what's what's the next chapter once we're out of this
0: before you jump in to answer that, I just want to touch and say that um, you mentioned that I did an interview with you about pop-up painting in general and yourself. Um, that was four years ago. And one of those questions was, what do you see pop-up painting doing in five years? <laughs> and so we're coming up to the fifth year. Do you want to see how, <laughs> sh- shall I tell
1: you what you answered? No, today? no. Go- let's <laughs> compare it afterwards. Okay. okay. Right. Tell us this what you think <laughs> so so what's the question where what's next in a year's time yeah so um what's next for pop-up painting is um the same plan as we had pre-covid so uh, the board uh, agreed that uh, we needed to accelerate our growth uh, because the market is getting busier Uh, Demand is continuing to grow, but our share will decline if we don't get more aggressive. The growth of the company had been constrained because we didn't want to borrow any external money. So the uh, funding for the whole company had only come from myself and um, our finance director. And basically, we had no more money particularly to invest now. So we either had to stay at the kind of size we're at or we needed to be big and bold and say we're going to double in size, we're going to treble in size. And uh, we put together an aggressive but realistic business plan um, and managed to secure the first part of funding for that uh, from an, an external source. Uh, debt funding, uh, and then uh, COVID nineteen struck. Um, uh, we've had to use the investment that was for growth for basically survival. Mm. Um, so we really, you know, back a year in time. Um, however. We are in conversations with our bank again for another piece of investment. Um, And uh, it is basically to support the financing of our art bar, which we always intended to do at the end of this year. And it's even more critical we do it now because with COVID-19 and social distancing in place, we need to have as much control as possible over our environment. Mm. So the next thing for pop-up painting is the cafe art bar or the uh, uh, retail premises, whatever it turns out that we'll, we'll be able to secure um, and to have our own premises, which we hope to have by December. Mm. Um, and uh, then as soon as there is a bit of a release on social distancing, the next thing we'll do it will be to continue with our expansion plans and Scotland will be our next target
2: yeah good so annie what was the what was the answer four years ago
1: okay so
0: you said Uh, So just a reminder, the question is where do you see pop-up painting in five years and your question was where do you see pop-up painting in a year's time? So you said then uh, we will certainly be a national brand and are likely to have a fixed premises which would be our showcase space. Uh, We will still continue with our social painting experience which is our core pop-up painting product but we will likely have other products too. For example this week we launched our street art offering which obviously we don't do anymore
2: <laughs> mm. how interesting right so and that's actually really the, the core good. of it is really aligned absolutely of course it is
0: and mm. just reinforces the point that you've always wanted to do the art bar in case any of the other competitors start yeah, <laughs> they have an
1: original idea as an art bar <laughs> um it's it's not about wanting to run a bar it's about well, yeah having control over premises so we can have a really themed immersive experience.
2: Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think that's that's an exciting place to leave this conversation. I think uh, in a year's time, that will be uh, fantastic. So Felicity, mm-hmm. thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us this morning.